Greetings, everyone. This is a Sound Health radio show where we talk about the crossroads of the environment and our health with Richard Talk to Me Guy and Sherry Edwards, as I say every week, is off working on the soundhealthportal.com. I suggest going to soundhealthportal.com, scrolling down to the bottom, click on the video tab, pick a category that you're interested in of something that Sherry's doing a workup with a vocal profiling on. And you can actually watch her do a live intake, meaning somebody speaks into a microphone and it gets recorded, and then it's run through the software and gives reports, and Sherry runs the people through the reports. Watch a video first. You'll have a much better feel for what's going to happen when you go back and you can do one of the campaigns. You'll get an idea of the process, the kind of information you're going to get. Then, after you watch the video, I would go back to soundhealthportal.com, scroll down and look at the current campaigns, which are free options for you to choose. The campaigns are changing. Go watch a video. It's amazing technology, and I highly recommend it. To hear and share replays of this show, about 20 to 30 minutes after you hear the outro music, you can go to talktomeguy.com, just like it sounds, all words. Scroll down that page, and below the show notes, player right there, which you can use easily on any mobile device or tablet or computer, and you can listen to the show there, and all the show notes will be there. Anything that was we talk, I will put links in the show notes, and also at the bottom corner of those show notes, there's a little microphone, and if you want to leave me a message or a comment or a question for the guest or a suggestion for future guests or just say hi, just click that microphone, and you can leave me a message, and I'll get that. With that, imagine being invited on a grand life journey that transforms the mundane to the extraordinary and the lulls to a playground brimming with profound insight. This is what materializes when you visit the spaces in between, where you'll discover wisdom filtering through the interstices of your life's stories. In The Liminal Odyssey, Sandy Hart invites readers to step into, not over, the thresholds of their daily lives to explore the transformative power of the space between crisis and action. Sandy Hart is an award-winning leader in the fields of women's empowerment and interfaith community building. She founded the Women's Interfaith International Grassroots Organization, Sarah Spiritual and Religious Alliance for Hope, the morning of 9-11. An instinct to gather women of diverse faiths to protect all that they considered sacred, now in its 20th year. She founded and served as Director of Charter for Compassion's Women and Girls Sector. Served as a Chair for the United Religions Initiative for North America, and serves on the Women's Task Force for the Parliament of World's Religions. She is the founder of Compassionate California. Sandy is currently being inducted into the Women's Oral History of Library, Claremont Colleges. Sandy Hart joins us to have a conversation about her new book, The Liminal Odyssey, The Alchemical Power of the Spaces in Between. Welcome, Sandy. Hi, Richard. Thank you for having me. Everybody, please just have a beverage, have your seat in slightly reclining position as we step into the liminal odyssey. I, I have to start with, I know you get asked this a lot because it's the story, but what about the dog and how was that the tipping point for you? Everyone wants to know about the dog. I know. Uh, it's a great story and it happens to be a story that I've been trying to tell for 15 years. And it wasn't until I discovered the new word liminal that it all made sense. But here's the story. Um, in 1982, I thought I was going to a rock concert, and it was actually a music festival and no nukes rally called Peace Sunday. It was at the Rose Bowl in Southern California, and there were a reported 100,000 people there. And early on in the day, the MC came to the microphone and announced that a report had come in from the parking lot that someone had left their dog in the car. It's going to be a very hot day. And if that's your dog, please go roll your windows down. Now, there was a low-grade hush, boo, over the crowd, and then the next speaker came to the microphone, and everyone was drowned out and quickly forgot about the dog, except for me. I didn't forget about the dog. Now, the entire day was stitched between speaker, activist, environmentalist, politician, 
uh, what have you, speaking of and imploring this crowd of folks, you know, about the sacred nature of our planet and that we must protect our planet from nuclear proliferation. Um, and fans from anyone who was uh, relevant since the 60s, including Joan Baez and Bob Dylan, who had this historical historic appearance together. It was pretty cool. But at any rate, so the entire day was speaker, band, speaker, band, speaker, band. And in between the next speaker and the next band setting up, I wanted to know about dogs, so I decided my voice could be heard and started hmm. to chant, what about the dog? What about the dog? What about the dog? And I was quickly drowned out. But my moment came again after that band was breaking down and the speaker was taking the mic. And I started up again. Now my friend started in with me. We were drowned out. And the next time our moment came, our entire section started chanting. And it must have been around noon when the entire stadium was chanting, what about the dog? Every moment there was any resemblance of silence um, from the stage. And that went on all day long until right around dusk when the, uh, when the MC came back to the microphone and said, so you want to know about the dog? And I just remember the crowd went wild and I think Josh was flying in the air. The MC then announced, the dog is fine. Hmm. And, you know, the, the roar got even louder. And then Mr. Stevie Wonder took and asked for five minutes of silence, which was remarkable to be in the midst of 100,000 people in silence, everyone praying for world peace. And I'm convinced the MC had to answer the big question of the day, or he may not have gotten that silence. It was really remarkable. And so, you know, it wasn't until about 10 years later, be 15 years later, that I started seeing some synchronicities line up about what happened on that day. And wow, this is a really interesting story to tell. There is meaning there. So perhaps I should tell this story, but I didn't have enough of a story to tell. I, you know, you have to up the pages if you're going to write a book or a short story about this experience. And I kept putting it down. And then I heard this word liminal. Hmm. And I understood it means threshold and the threshold between crisis and action. But I've come to know that it's also the threshold of this place we are in right now in our evolutionary growth spurt. It's a moment of choice. It's the threshold between our moment of choice and what we do next. Uh, so it's so much more than just between crisis and action. We find thresholds every day in the most mundane experiences, like hearing a dog was locked in the car. What are you going to do about that? What is your body telling you? What is your What is lighting up inside of you about that? Follow that into a liminal space. So that is sort of the trajectory of what started this whole thing. And then the book wrote itself. It's so perfect. 1982 Rose Bowl with all the Stevies. Um, that's a, I love that story, A. Mm -hmm. And B, I'm that annoying person who for years have carried around a sticky notepad that I had printed that says, what about the dog that I used to stick to people's windows on a hot summer day, even though the windows were cracked? So I am a big fan of dogs, what? and I would I would add a personal note, a different note in there that I think it was great. One of the very first upgrades to the early Tesla S's was people were breaking windows in Teslas because they saw dogs inside cars on the hot summer day, oh. not knowing that Tesla, the car, has a setting, dog setting, so mm -hmm. that you can have the car being air-conditioned while the windows are closed, and the dog is like, hey, I'm chilling in here. I'm happy as can be. So they they reprogrammed the system so there was a big, like, HAL symbol on the large screen, the touchscreen in a Tesla Dash, that's blinking. The dog is fine. The car is air-conditioned. Don't break the windows. Isn't that remarkable? Yes. And 
you know, I remember having this conversation with Jean Shinodabolan, author Jean Shinodabolan, and she's the one who introduced me to this word liminal. And when I told her about the what about the dog story, she said, isn't it amazing how everybody was there for the, you know, for the sake of our planet, yet everybody was also concerned about the humanity of this dog. And then she added, and we see ourselves in the humanity of that dog as a victim of man's quest for power. I don't like the word victim. I don't operate in victim consciousness, but Mm -hmm. we can go there if we're not aware of our personal power and agency. And I love that you did that. What about the dog stickers? Here's another synchronicity. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Well, that's why I had, I laughed. I like was snorting out loud. I was sitting in the, in a room and my roommate was like, what? And I told him the dog story and he knows me. We've known each other for 40 years. So it was like, yeah, I was that guy. I was that annoying guy, always with a sticky tag on the dog windows going, hey, what about the dog? Don't make me break your window. <laughs> um, so I love that so much. Yeah. And yeah. As, I was, as I was going through the liminal odyssey, it almost feels, even though it's a wonderful guidebook or We'll get to the steps, but I mean, it really is a wonderful guidebook. It almost feels like an autobiography because of, because of, A, I've, I've read a lot about you, but it, I mean, you've done, a, I mean, I don't know how you had time to write a book because you are <laughs> always doing something. Is that part of the, you've been living in the liminal odyssey world for such a, so many years now? that you just see opportunities pop up or how does that, you know what, you know what the question is. Mm -hmm. I do. And yes, I suppose I have, it's a condition I have often much to my dismay, Mm -hmm. (laughs) often much to my husband's dismay. I don't stop Um, just because I have to follow all of these threads because there's an adventure at not even at the end, but soaked into every one of those threads. And so, yeah, I've noticed that, and I can look back and go, yeah, I've always done that. Ever since I was a little girl, I didn't recognize it until I was writing this book. But, um, but yeah, and it's just following my bliss is really what I'm doing. Um, cool. It has to light me up. So, yeah, of course, I, I have to start a women's group because I heard the call, gather the women after 9-11. I, I had to... Um, for Compassion in California when I heard about the initiative in California could really use some compassion uh, city by city. Um, I, I had to, uh, you know, anything I have done has just been a reaction of responding to the calling. Yeah. And at the root of that calling is my, is my divine assignment, I think. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, my passion as a yeah. social artist and a spiritual activist. That's a great, it's such a different visual when you say the word social artist, because you think of artists. I know a lot of mm-hmm. social artists and, but they're doing art and your art is life, which I think is quite yeah. extraordinary. <laughs> I say, I love to paint with people and get them all over me. And and sometimes it's with an indelible ink and sometimes it's with chalk and I can might need to wash it away and thank it for coloring me in the way it did and onward. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. yeah, and building community in that way. And community is my, is, is within me. It's in my family. It's my immediate community in the county I live in and my global community. There are so many directions I want to go, but I'm going to go with this one for the moment. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I, you, you said the like juicy word for me, which is community. And I, I had this for later, but you brought it up, so I'm going to go with it now. Is the As we discover and use the 12 steps in the liminal odyssey, and we all discover our own liminal potentials, and we have shifts or motion, and then as more and more of that happens, that will affect our community. That's in the form of a question. And in turn, what about the earth? Can, can part of that be that we, we join liminal hands 
and through how we change or grow or I'm not sure what that word is. Um, will we be able to have benefit on the earth all through this consciousness light bulb? We have to. Um, if, if we're not, we're not doing it. We, we have to keep trying. <laughs> yeah. Um, first of all, it's important to remember that community is driven by culture. And culture is nothing more than an agreement by the sum of its parts. That's us, citizens. And we're driven by our thoughts. We're driven by our authentic integrity. Do we always live into that? I don't constantly catch myself and try to adjust course, but I am far from the example of this, but I can grok it. You know, I can, I can look in that direction. I can get my arms around it, you know, but I'm constantly working on it. Um, and everything comes down to, Ultimately, protecting and preserving um, not just ourselves and our families and our community, but our planet. Without our planet, our precious Mother Earth, our Gaia Mama, um, our life force, um, what's it, what is it worth? You know, if we are not protecting the air that we breathe and the water that we drink, our common basic needs, common basic needs. No one is examining water or air to breathe. Yeah. So how do we protect our planet? And when we can think of our planet, you know, one thing I love about the definition of being a spiritual activist, and by the way, you know, you asked me that question about have I always had this innate, you know, propensity to do so much because I just follow the threads as I put, <clears throat> excuse me, um, Everybody can do this. I'm not special. It just comes a little bit more clear to me. It was sort of uh, wired into me, but it's it's an it's designed so it's something we can all access. Um, but if we all think about our planet is the sole recipient, <laughs> or I shouldn't say sole recipient, the ultimate recipient of our action, then we are living as a spiritual activist. And oh, I started to say that. You know, my the definition of being a spiritual activist or one of them is to live in enlightened self-interest. When what I do for me, I do for others. I do for my community. And when what I do for myself uh, uh, benefits others and the planet, then that's what I should be doing. And if it doesn't, then we have to ask ourselves, why are we doing it? And mm -hmm. that is a liminal space. When we recognize that we are not operating in that enlightened self-interest, and that could be something like watering our lawn or buying products that are not, you know, are, are not sustainable for our planet or, 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 break, or helping to break down our planet. You know, in that month, you're picking an item off the shelf. That could be a liminal space. So liminal spaces are everywhere. And then what we do, how we dive into them with these steps are uh, what determines our liminal odyssey. I think when we talked a little bit backstage, I, I mentioned an ally, Pam Osley, who does a lot of work in auric fields and also quantum physics, an interesting mix. Mm -hmm. And I feel the same way about the liminal potential, that they're all around us. And it's the, the uh, trick is seeing that moment and that opportunity, which is going to – which for this moment, I'm going to jump to ask you to talk to us about Sarah, because that seemed like that was a liminal opportunity that you chose. You saw something, felt something, knew something. You had a something that I don't have a word for that was like, this must happen now. Did you talk about mm -hmm. Sarah? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I don't have a word for it either. <laughs> it, it was a whisper in my ear that I listened to. It was my soul, you know, knocking on my door again, which it has done in every occasion that I'm called to do something. The morning of 9-11, when I was watching everybody else was seeing on the news, that for, uh, for me in Southern California was that morning. And um, uh, before, my, before I really could open my eyes completely, um, I heard gather the women. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know who was whispering in my ear. I just knew it was, it was just something I needed to do. 
And I also didn't know where I was supposed to find these women and what I'm supposed to do with them once I find them. Because I was the director <laughs> of sales and marketing and for a major home builder, and I was, huh? you know, living a, a rather structured, you know, what might be considered an ordinary life, raising my middle school kids. So I was an excellent soccer and basketball mom and <laughs> just, uh-huh. you know, I was just really involved with my lives and my work and my husband. And um, and so this was as foreign to me as it had been, yet um, something woke up in me and my DNA began to rearrange. I became rewired in that moment. And I kept following threads and I found myself in some interfaith dialogues because the Orange County Human Relations Commission had convened groups of uh, interfaithful folks to discuss the level of tolerance in our community and report back so the, the commission could, you know, put together some programming there that I met the win. And that is the beginning of Sarah. And Sarah is named after the mother of all nations. And definitely, you know, representing the three monolithic, or these monolithic, I should, there are more than three, monolithic religions, but um, it, we open to all, and, you know, non-believers and earth-based pagan Wiccan as well. Just, you know, who you are in your belief system is really what matters, how you show up in the world, in, in your higher and deeper value system. That's what we could count on. That's yeah. Which means mm-hmm. we can trust one another and be creative and find new solutions to old problems for our community. And that's mm-hmm. what that's what Sarah's about. And over the years, oh gosh, we've done so many amazing, wonderful things and the universities would call on us for various programs and also panel discussions and things like that. We we did some covert interfaith community building where we did a uh, for seven years a weekend of community service where we galvanized a thousand people, average a thousand people, out to about a hundred different service projects, uh, um, cross-pollinating the different faith people, you know, folks together to go out and do projects together, and um, where they otherwise may not have gotten to know their neighbors of a different faith. But mm-hmm. when you work on something that you both care about, it's hard to understand and let some walls come down a bit between you. And so mm-hmm. we've met. And then with COVID really provided us an amazing opportunity to really go global in a way that we hadn't been before. And now everything we do is globally. Yeah. Yes, so that, is, that, is a, that is a weird hashtag because I have used that thanks COVID in the sense of uh-huh. the opportunities that it's created. Well, particularly in what I do as a producer for people really has blossomed because I'm the person who produces events for people who just want to show up and do what they do and not be involved in the technology. And so it really blew up that world of, as we were joking back, or I was joking backstage, my idea of community is I pick up the phone and call people. (laughs) I'm just a guy who picks up the phone and calls people. But I like community, and I think that this has really enhanced the desire for people to want to communicate with each other. And I think that's always a good thing. Yeah, thanks COVID for so many things, and I always, you know, have to say, you know, I'm so sorry for the suffering. And I had COVID, and so many have, have suffered far more than I have. And my son-in-law has COVID right now, from as a matter of fact. Um, but it really has provided us a reset. And I hope, um, and now that you know things lightened up a bit. We're kind of going back to some ways, and here comes COVID again. We're, we're not done. Yeah. I feel like, you know, Mama Gaia sent us to our room uh, to figure it all out. And um, so and I, what we're seeing right now, and, you know, I'm glad that you brought up the conversation of quantum physics because um, I really believe that we are in the second quantum um, uh, revolution as the early 20th century was the first one, quantum physics really became understood and discovered, actually, um, and ultimately that, you know, that we live in a mental universe. And, and it's not just me. I mean, physicists say this, but I see it. You know, I, I'm seeing it. We're seeing things break down and fall apart so new things can come. I mean, it's just nature. A seed, when planted underground, has to disintegrate before 
it's it's coded intelligence can rise uh-huh. through the the dirt, the darkness, and become perhaps a forest of opportunity. I mean, that's where we're going. It's the breakdown of our political system. It's the breakdown of our environment and um, or what we're doing to our environment. Um, and the the breakdown of so many things that is necessary right now. And I think COVID was a sign of that. It, it, it went, I don't know if we're paying enough attention to its message. So we need to learn how to listen um, better. Yeah. I'm, I'm still, and I will stick with this for a while. I'm not sure that COVID isn't a kind of manifestation by the bees and butterflies saying, look, mm-hmm. this is how we feel mm-hmm. as we're being destroyed yeah, on a daily uh-huh. basis. So that's sort of my riff of sorts on that because it really is, as you said, in the process of a seed growing, there is a sort of a rotty stage as the seed begins to break apart so that the new growth can come out. Oh, and yeah. we might be there. I think we are, and let's hope that we're almost on the other side of it. But the entire animal and natural world is revolting right now, and they're saying, "Oh yeah. hell no, you know, yeah. stop this right now." And um, yeah. Yeah, maybe the bees and the butterflies are leading the march, perhaps. And you know, mm-hmm. the <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I got the image of the bees and the butterflies <laughs> in white dresses marching with signs. Yeah. <laughs> you bet. This is we're protesting, and here's how. Rrr, rrr, rrr. Um, yeah, I love that. That's good. I wish I knew somebody who did animation. That would be a great little animation. Um, <laughs> I want to ask, because we were talking about Sarah, I also want to ask about, you're the founder of Compassionate California, which you mentioned, and it recently became established into the law as the first compassionate state in California in the governor, by the governor's office. What is that, and how did that happen? And how cool. The, Excuse me. Yeah, how cool, right? Now the real work begins, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, 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 the City of Compassion Initiative, it will start there, was uh, initiated by the, the Charter for Compassion organization. It's an international organization that focuses on the principles and virtues and values of compassion. And it was founded on Karnal Strong's Charter for Compassion, which are these four paragraphs that uh, were crowdsourced to, to describe um, the values of compassion. And, and the cities of compassion started happening where mayors were starting to say, okay, our city is a city of compassion. We're going to live by this proclamation, and we're going to apply it to our schools and our city development and our decision-making and our legislation and everything from there on. That was the that was the promise of a true city of compassion. So when I heard about this at conference, I raced home, pulled together Sarah Ford, and I said, we could do this in our city. We could go to the mayor of our cities, and we can, you know, do presentations and tell them all about it and hold their hand for them to become a city of compassion. And we could decide whose city we would start with. So we said, why don't we all just go to our respective cities? And by the way, heck, let's just go to the state. But we have to go city by city first. And then county by county, Board of Supervisors next. And we have to do it systematically. So it's truly organic. And it's not, and it also can't top heavy. It has to be grassroots. Um, and, and then it got too big for a women's interfaith organization to do. And it was pulling us way too far away from our vision and our purpose in our community. And um, at least at that level, plus we didn't feel it was appropriate for an interfaith women's group to be at the center. It had to be a confluence of all the sectors of society. We'd have a place at the table, but it should not be the table. And so um, it was taken over by an organization that I was part of and helped organize called Compassionate California. And then I slowly sort of dripped away and went back to my Sarah work. And then that just provided more space for other things. But um, it, so I don't take credit for eventually getting the governor's office, but Sarah held its hand for about six or seven years. 
and um, and we're all very very proud of that. So, and this was another um, call to action. This was another knocking on my door by my soul, going, "Go do that." <laughs> and <laughs> so, all right, hold on, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Mind if I finish making this bread first? That's wonderful. <laughs> I could do both. I could do both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've made a lot of bread, and it's a really actually making bread is quite a great meditation. Oh, yeah, the kneading of the bread. Yeah, it's so necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just that my recipes used to start with 100 pounds of flour. So that's a thing. <laughs> and a big but machine, it's still, yeah. But it, and a big machine, but it was still, there was still, even though the initial dough was worked, you still had to work the bread by hand repeatedly and shape it into mm-hmm. loaves and then get it cut. Yeah, I mean, it was a thing. But it was a great meditation. It really is a working meditation when you start working bread. I've always found it to be very, you know, restful, even though it can be hard work, especially when it's, uh, as I said, starting with 100 pounds of flour. But that's a Yeah, isn't that a metaphor for our lives? You know, we're given these ingredients. How we put Mm -hmm. them together matters. How we nurture and care for them, pay attention to them, know when it's time to put them in the oven, watch them rise, get out of their way a bit, and then and then they nourish us so we can replenish and they can circulate through us so we can continue to do this over and over again for others. They support others. Um, I can find a metaphor in anything with a liminal odyssey, but that's a really good one. Well, and there's the also, it, it is perfect in the liminal thinking. I hadn't thought about this until just you said this, that there is the process when you first start making bread, not at my level of making bread, because that's like, what are you kidding? Um, but making bread is that you, there, is, there needs to be trust. Stop lifting mm. the towel. Stop looking at it. Stop poking at it. Stop worrying about it. The yeast know what to do. If you, if you give it the opportunity and keep it at the close to a nice temperature and don't have wind blowing across it, it's going to happen. It might take longer than you think. It might be, you know, all of those things. It will happen. Nature knows what it's doing because it is a natural process. And it's, it's amazing. Actually, the first time you see a hundred, you know, a hundred pounds, so you make a pound per loaf because they were serving for dinner side serving. When you see a hundred loaves of bread rise, the first time it's like, well, a string of bad words because you're in a kitchen, but it's like amazing. <laughs> like wow, this really right. worked. You start it with water and yeast and maybe some milk because the kind of bread you're making, and it happens. It's it's wonderful. I love that. I love that analogy. And the yak and the activating yeast, I should say the trust and the trust mm-hmm. frequency that I talk about in the book, um, and Kairos time mm. is the activating yeast to our life. Cool. It is what's necessary so it can rise to its highest potential. I think we're all encoded with the seed and that seed has its own DNA and intelligence and knows where it's going. If we can listen and trust and get out of its way when appropriate. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And I feel the same way about nature. You know, if we, we stop beating nature over the head with toxic hammers, it knows what to do. It will do it. It doesn't need us. I'm a bit judgy yeah. about whether it needs us or not because I think we're the problem. <laughs> But I'm oh, in a different liminal yeah. field. <laughs> so I, nature knows what to do. If we just, like the bees and the hummingbirds and the butterflies, they all know what their job is or what they, they've tapped into their liminal bliss point. They're doing it. Those butterflies are out having a good time. <laughs> and, but, and doing their butterfly work in the world. Uh, you know, <laughs> if you look at the natural world and us in, as a part of that natural world, we're the only species that does not collaborate and cooperate the way nature does mm-hmm. we take for yeah. our pleasure and for yeah. our convenience um, and uh, not everybody gives back and I'm not speaking to everybody I'm sure in the, those listening to this call are here because that's not you or you're seeking to know how not to be you <laughs> but um, yeah and when we see ourselves as part of the nature, we start seeing the reverence in everything. 
mm-hmm. and we we ha- uh, have to step down off of this holy throne and see ourselves as citizens among our natural world. You know, even even the vines that take over big trees, often to maybe to their demise, um, they collaborate and cooperate and take over something different, and they mm-hmm. become something different. So, um, yeah, it's a real hearty conversation about nature and our relationship to it. And, I, you know, what you mentioned from the very beginning, the crossroads of the environment and our health um, are, is that crossroads is that liminal space because mm-hmm. it's both the environment and it's that enlightened self-interest. But you also mentioned neuroplasticity, and neuroplasticity happens through practice and all of these uh, skills or tools or mechanisms that we can apply while we are in that little space are practice skills. We have to remember to pull them up when they're not convenient or comfortable even, often, especially when they're not comfortable or convenient. Yeah, because now I'm, I'll take care of it another time or I'll go think about that another time. It's like, no, now it's, you know, it's, you know, it's time to put the pedal to the metal and this is where, you know, this is where it matters. Now is really the time. And there is, I, I will toss into this, that uh, I've interviewed Bruce Lipton a number of times. <clears throat> and it was a long time ago when I was at a small lecture that he, in the early days of him lecturing, that afterwards we were talking about, it was, he's a genetic, genetic teacher, science, you know, now big thinker. He was always a big thinker, it just that it looks different now. And he introduced the idea of that our cells or our receptor sites in our cells are really receptive. He said, really, people, listen to me say that again. They are receptor sites. Let that echo for a while. And then he talked about the hormone system and how the hormone systems or glands are these weird things in our body that secrete by just secreting. They don't have ducts. They don't have pathways. They just squirt something out, a signal, squirt out some serotonin, and that the cells that have receptor sites for that get it. And so he took that to a bigger picture of our, I took that with him to a bigger picture of our cells are listening. So I think our cells are receptive to all of this kind of liminal conversation that you are so good at because they're listening. Our cells want to be in relationship with, I believe, that liminal field because they're listening. We might not be listening because we're dumb. <laughs> and I don't mean that as if like we're dumb, but because we're not paying attention. Our cells are going, hey, we're down here listening. Come on. Yeah, we're in a trance is more like it, right? And, yeah. um, and this requires body awareness, you know, being able to pay attention to the vibration going on in your body. Um, and absolutely, um, Dr. Bruce Lipton is remarkable um, in what in his discovery that thoughts happen outside the cells that they do broadcast out to the field. And that means how powerful our thoughts are, that we do create a reality. You know, several years ago, I was talking to my friend who's a hermetic scientist, and I, and I said to her, I go, Brenda, right now, all of my cells I feel like are committing mutiny on my senses. They're bouncing off the walls. I physically vibrating and it doesn't feel good. She said, Oh dear, those are just your cells waiting for your direction. (laughs) And I realized, wow. So I went to my little meditation chair and I said, all right, come to attention. You know, like a mother Mm -hmm. gathering her children to her lap. Mm -hmm. I said, okay come and it took me just a little bit of time of breathing and recognizing what was going on that it was all coming from my thoughts and and fear definitely from fear and that fear wasn't obvious to me but when I stopped and realized what was going on I had something coming up that I was you know you know really driving towards and it was uh, a lot of work and I was wondering I was going to do it and I really needed to calm down so all I had to do is just take a breath and say, come to attention. I'm in charge here. My thoughts are in charge. We are more powerful than we think, so we have to think carefully. And I look forward to that to next book. Control. That's a great new book. <laughs> we have to look and be careful about how we think. That's a great new book. 
because you're not doing anything else. (laughs) Wow. That's right. Right. Yeah, I had a conversation. Isn't it, isn't it, well, it's a really amazing, um, you know, really amazing awareness that comes out of the trust frequency too, that when we apply awareness, question assumptions, we can check our attitude and we can, um, and, and we can really alchemize our thoughts. We can really say, oh, okay, this isn't that big of a deal, or okay, I know how I'm going to address this right now. I don't think there's any one recipe for applying skills. I, I did discover 12 that works for me, and I think they're really helpful, but I think everybody comes with their own confluence of skills and tools to apply um, mm-hmm. into that space when, when that awareness happens. And it's not just the skills. It's the, it's the combination of the skills when you operate in them together, when you don't just discount one to make room for another. They all have to be practiced together. And there is a method to that. And it, it's really super powerful. And it, it, it supercharges and um, the alchemizing process. It's really mm-hmm. remarkable to experience. Yeah. I love the alchemical so, yeah. process. That's a whole other show, the alchemical process yeah. in a big picture of things. I love that so much. I want to, ever since like now, although we're already in it, really in it, where I want to ask you about the 12 skills outlined in your book. And I have to ask about the wondrous symbols at the start of each chapter. Where did those mm. come from? And what are they? And why do I like them so much? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I'll start with the skill. Well, that's for your, that's for your, you know, liminal space, you know, Aussie, you. you know, that's for you to go figure that out. What is that about? Um, or just trust that something meaningful and it'll show up for you in Cairo's time. Um, and that's what I love about those, those questions. Um, so the skills, you know, I, I shared that I had started writing a story about Peace Sunday experience. And when I started applying this concept of liminality and realized what was going on in me that morning while sitting in that stadium chair was sacred listening, the sacred art of listening. So I started writing about that. And then when I um, started, you know, seeing a line where, you know, draw to this other experience I had, I'm like, oh, what was that about? And I thought, well, I, over time I've learned about uh, the power of forgiveness. And, and so I started writing about that. And um, then another story I started seeing lines to, I thought, oh, there's a relativity to our natural world here. I've got to write about that, especially the lessons that were given to me directly whom I work with, grandmother Fleur de Mayo, great-grandmother Mary Lyons, and others. And uh, I really wanted their wisdom to be shared here. Um, as a matter of fact, every one of these chapters that I ultimately get to a different skill that I had accumulated along the way attributes the the thought leader or the indigenous elder or the scientist or whomever that or the author who actually I learned that skill from. I'm not the expert there. I'm only an expert in my own life um, and perhaps now the liminal odyssey. But I I really you know, want to make sure that all of these are rooted in their integrity of how they described them and, and discovered them. Um, impeccability and integrity is so important, especially our words and our thoughts. Mindfulness, body awareness, ultimately rec- learning how to recognize our divine assignment, our planetary assignment, and, um, and all, also the trust frequency. This is a book written by Connie Baxter Marlowe and Cameron Bailey that's super powerful. And that runs through almost that and sacred listening run through every one of the chapters. So um, these skills that I mentioned just now, they, they work as a collective. They work, uh, they, they're building blocks on one another. They, they're mutually supportive, mutually beneficial, and interdependent on one another. And so 
so that through the practice, and you only need 28 days to make a practice in neuroplasticity, right? And um, if you're if you're intentional and you have the will to follow to live into that intention, um, then you can apply what skills you all you already come with. Like I mentioned earlier, I think everybody has those flows of mind that don't work. Add your own, whatever works for you. What matters is that you practice them and notice in that moment of awareness in that liminal space. Um, and then um, to answer your question about hmm. the uh, symbols, um, I had a, uh, I decided that I wanted some sort of artwork or something pretty on every chapter, you know, a watermark on the on the chapter things. And I found this symbol that was. Um, uh, that represented the energy of the universe. And I'm like, okay, that's a good symbol. So I put that in there. I sent it to my interior designer. And a couple of days later, I woke up about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning with like, no, wait. Every chapter has a different energy. So I got up that morning and I went kind of investigating on, on what sort of symbols there were out there. And started applying them to the different chapters. And that just gave a whole new texture. Um, even if maybe you're not aware of it, maybe it's just a pretty piece of art to you, it's there. Um, and that was really important to me that, you know, as I, in the same intention that I picked the cover art for my book, which is a painting that's drawn by Catherine Skaggs, Skaggs painted by Catherine Skaggs, who is a shaman and a healer and an, obviously an artist. And um, I, you know, I thought there's something really magical and mystical about this. And then I learned the process and I learned about the mystical manner in which she paints. And I'm like, please, you got to let me have this piece. Well, she wasn't even done with the entire piece of art. I had just seen a glimpse of it. And I said, I only want this part. And at first she resisted and I, I think I held my breath till I turned blue <laughs> and <laughs> she, um, she finally, you know, said, all right. And so I was able to license that part of the, her artwork. And, um, and so in that same intention is the intention of everything in this book. I tried to breathe that into, in between the words and in the pages and in the symbols that you see. And there's something else that's coming up that hasn't been publicly announced yet, but I can share it here. Would you like to hear mm -hmm. it? Please. I'm in the middle of recording the audiobook, and I wow. was thinking about the. I know. <laughs> it's so much easier to write and edit your own book um, than to do the audiobook. But um, I started thinking about, you know, nice music to bridge the chapters. Mm -hmm. And I started thinking about, you know, what songs do I want and what would be appropriate. And I have a friend who is a Native American flute maker who also performs as well as composes um, her music and does a lot with indigenous elders. You know, she'll be called on stage to um, open and provide background music and such for for their talks and so on. And she's got a, a number of albums. She's really remarkable. Her name is Jerry Littlejohn. So I reached out to Jerry and I said, hey, can I use one of your songs to sort of just, I only need little bits here and there. And she said, no, she goes, I think you really need me to compose an entire album for your book. So <laughs> she has all of the symbols and the chapter titles and has, I don't know if she's read the book, but she, and she's, I don't know that she wants to read the book. She really wants to just absorb what she can because that's how she operates. And she's creating music that I'm going to be able to use throughout the book. So, oh, so many surprises have just shown up in this book. That's, uh, it's not me. It doesn't have, this has little to do with me. I'm just sort of the servant who said yes and um, following directions, getting out of the way. That's amazing. It's like you have a, ball, a baseball cap on that says Director of Synchronicity. Oh, that's going to show up in my marketplace. Okay, thank you. I'll <laughs> you have can to have that. Give you, <laughs> give you realties. I'd like a cap. Virtuality. I'd like a cap. Um, yeah. It just seems so, I mean, that's such an, uh, to me, such a, like it lights up. I'm a talking person, but I'm also very visual. I've had a camera in my hand since I was in junior high, so I'm very visually oriented, even though I'm talking. 
And it just lights up like, oh, that's so, you are the director of synchronicity. You are like the lead coach in synchronicity, which is <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, it, and so it is. <laughs> um, you said so. And May it be I so. Literally, yeah. <laughs> but I think we all can do that. That's my goal. The goal mm-hmm. is that everybody owns this title. Everybody can. You can cultivate synchronicities, and it's it's so exciting. It's fun. This is a fun-filled adventure. There's nothing heavy about this. And as soon as it starts getting heavy, ask yourself why. It's it's fun. It's it's an, it's like I don't know how many times I grabbed my head while writing this book. And I, I grabbed my head when Jerry told me this. I grabbed my head when somebody said, oh, we're doing a book club on your book. I'm like, what? I grabbed my head when someone says, I'm doing a, a workshop on the liminal odyssey through the miracle, uh, Course in Miracles. I'm like, what? There's wow. so many things. I know, right? It's <laughs> so, it, so this is what happens when all you do is follow the threads. I'm no different than anybody here. I just. It might have a little bit more insight right now, but I think the book is a guidebook in that way. But it's also just me telling my story at the same time, which may be evidence that perhaps it works. Perhaps. Just perhaps. Maybe. You have a musician <laughs> writing an album for you. Oh, you need music for this. I'll write that. Come on. That's crazy. Um, I think that – I think for my own clarity – Sometimes it turns into therapy just for me, but it's really, I believe, a truth is that synchronicities can be amazing, like you having somebody write an album for your book. And or there can be other synchronicities where it's like, what am I doing here? This is bad. So I think it's the I think it's the choice in that in the breath moment or in the pause or in that moment when you can choose that. A pathway somehow. Mm-hmm. That's a question, but I don't know how yeah. to make it a question. I'm sorry. <laughs> and no, no, and don't say you're sorry. That was a great point they make, and that Bruce Lipton said that we brought our cells are broadcasting to us all the time, and we have to trust and know that our cells, each cell has a a, a nucleus. Each cell is a, like you said, a scent. What what does he call it? A a broadcast center? A rece- an they have antennas that are reception there. You know, the, the yeah. cells re- have antennas that receive the reception towers. Oh, receptive, yeah. Receptive towers, but also broadcasting, also have their own intelligence. Mm-hmm. And, and this is hermetic science, apparently. I don't know. I'm not a scientist by any means. This is my high level, <laughs> just like high level, or maybe a low level, I should say, understanding it. Um, but the... The, to listen to your body. It all just starts with paying attention to your body. Oh, wait, I'm vibrating. What's that about? Oh, wait, I got a knot in my throat. That's been bothering me. I didn't do any exercise. It must be something to do with something. Um, this is where a little bit of understanding of our shock system is really helpful and our, you know, our core energy center um, because our, our body is always talking to us. And how we yeah. respond is essential. Well, it's like I always say that inflammation is our body shouting. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have an inflammation, it's because the cells are down there screaming bad words that you're going, this is not going to be good. We have to take care of this. It's going to be bad. We're warning you. And, you know, our, ce- yeah. our body is constantly selling, sending signals of one kind or another. I always think, you know, we're really a miracle. Every every morning when I get out of bed, I think, wow, I just got out of bed and I'm standing. And it's like, you know, AI can barely, you know, you can ask Siri for something and they're still like, what do you say? <laughs> you know, so it's like we are a phenomenal object that moves around. It's like, wow. I mean, the whole planet is a miracle. Um, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing. I say thing. Whole- it is, and I say holy wow every day. And yeah. I, I, the first quantum revolution was basically us understanding the ingredients of the universe and expanding on them, which made way for and led to us having transistors, GPS, semiconductors, you know, um, MRI imagers, computers, and phones, right, while we're even here today, mm-hmm. that 
seen as a miracle that that discovery happened and that someone listened to it and then enough people listened to it. And the second quantum revolution is really our minds catching up to our spirituality, I think. And this, it's said that this is the transformation of our society again through how we sense and we sense, right? We are being, we're more in tune with our body and a process of transformation resulting in how we exchange, how we interact with one another, basically how we behave. And that changes culture. So uh, remembering that we are, yes, we are the ones we've been waiting for. We're the ones we've been waiting for to wake up to our divine assignment. And we each have a different assignment. Please don't follow someone else's assignment. Do you. <laughs> As my daughter says, you do you. <laughs> Whenever I don't agree with her, she goes, okay, mom, go, you do you. <laughs> Which I appreciate. That's a, a smart kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. I yeah. am shocked to find, because we could talk for a couple more hours pretty casually, I believe, that, but I want people to know where can they find out more about your work? Where would you like them to get your book? Are you doing online classes yet? Uh, yes, actually. Thank you. Um, one stop at liminalodyssey.com or liminalodyssey.com. The book is there. If you use the promo code Richard O, with no yeah. space in between the Richard and the O, there's a discount and free shipping of the book. There is a workshop coming up on the 28th. It's an introduction. And um, if you use the password, well, I'll just make sure it's Richard O <laughs> right away because I, I don't know that there's a passcode in there yet. Um, and that'll be free for you. And it's a two-hour introductory work, but you'll actually leave with a lot. Um, and then there's a um, an online uh, course that's coming up. Um, and you also see Kitchen Tape Conversations, where there's these conversations with the people that I actually mentioned, or the topics that are actually in the book, that I can take a deeper dive directly with the people who either gave them to me or who are experts in the field. And so that's also on that website. Yeah, so there's a lot happening. And who knows? You know, right. but who's, who knows what's coming tomorrow? Yeah. yeah. Just put on your director of synchronicities ball cap. It'll come right to you. <laughs> I'm telling you, you're a bright beacon for like, look at this. Not kidding. It's amazing. It works. Yeah. It works. Yeah. Don't um, follow me. Follow your divine no, no. assignment and everybody. Well, and I think I, I have to refer to, because I just, uh, this is in the background on my computer monitor. In chapter, I just had the chapter right there in front of me. Chapter eight, you talk about the trust frequency. Mm. And you talk about heart-shaped evidence. And this, mm. I, I know this is going to take us a couple minutes over because I was going to close, but I can't. <laughs> because it's <laughs> so true that we have to, we want to. It's in our best planetary interest, I feel, that if we operate from a heart-shaped vector, you'll have much better ways to say that than I do. It's as simple as that. We see the world through love. You know that radical. all is love. Isn't yeah. that radical? Isn't that yeah. radically awesome? It's that simple. I mean, it's hard today because we have feelings, we have hang-ups, we have emotions, we have baggage, la, la, la. You know, we have, we want our convenience. I'm only talking about myself. I shouldn't say we. But this is where we get to do the work. It just doesn't happen like that. It takes practice, intention. And then intention and will are partners. So, you have, you know, if anybody's ever been on a diet, <laughs> you know that intention is one thing, but will is another. So really following through with that, but heart-shaped evidence is great. You will see it when you believe it, or you'll believe it when you see it. No, you'll believe it when you see it. Uh, you'll see it when you believe it. I beg your pardon. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's one of those. Can you say that again to be very clear. Yes. <laughs> you will see it when you believe it. I believe yeah. I'm going to see a heart-shaped rock whenever I say I'm going to find a heart-shaped rock, and I always do. So um, that's an example of the power of that philosophy. All right. I'm stopping now because <laughs> we could surely, it's like hitting a billiard ball and it just like, oh, there's that one. Let's, I want to talk about that one now. 
That's amazing. <laughs> that was wonderful, Sandy. That was great. I knew it was going to be fun, and it was way yeah. more than I even thought it could be. It was great. Oh, thank you. I, I had a blast, and I really appreciate this time with you. I really thank have, you. and I've learned a lot, too. Oh, thank you. All right, everybody yeah, else, have a great, and you too, have a great rest of the weekend, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>